Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So hello there and welcome to another episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam Burns, your host for this episode, and joining me, my co-host Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this week? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm taking life day by day and uh, I'm looking forward to tackling some of the topics we've got to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So of course, there's no Grand Prix this weekend. This is going to be one of our filler weeks, if you like. We often have episodes weekly, so we have occasionally a few filler episodes this season. And the next Grand Prix, of course, will be the German Grand Prix, or otherwise known as the Eiffel Grand Prix. Not sure what the meaning of that name is. It must be a sponsor thing or something, but it has nothing to do with the Eiffel Tower in Paris. So um, we're just going to call it the German Grand Prix for simplistic sake at the uh, Nürburgring. Of course, Formula One returning to the Nürburgring. It's been a while since we've actually had a race there, Courtney. I'm trying to think back to the last time F1 went there. It used to alternate between that and Hockenheim, but of course... That's right. I think... I think it must have been about 2012. I'm going to take your word for it. It seems like a long time ago, so I'd have to fact check on that one, guys. But let us know, of course, if you know in the comments section. But yeah, it has been a while since F1 has been at the Nürburgring. I'd be surprised if we've had a race in the turbo hybrid era, to be honest. It doesn't ring a bell in my mind. No, but, it's uh, usually been a Hockenheim. Yeah, absolutely. But nonetheless, we are going to be going to the Nürburgring once again. And a very it's much, a very good yeah. circuit, I must say. It is a very... It's a, it, it, the... The name itself is obviously famous within motorsport, but the F1 circuit itself is a very good circuit. So we're going into that phase of the season now where we're going to be coming back to a lot of these classic circuits that have been missing in the previous years. And uh, I, for one, am definitely looking forward to these coming uh, Grand Prix, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we're going to this Grand Prix in the Nürburgring, and then, of course, we're going to be going to Turkey very soon, and then we're going to have that run of Imola, Portimao, and then, of course, the two Bahrain Grand Prix before we go to Abu Dhabi to finish off the season. So, 
With that in mind, of course, we're still reflecting on what happened at the Russian Grand Prix and a few key instances that we're going to be talking about in this episode. But first things first, let's recap over some of the news. Now, we are recording this for context purposes, guys. We're recording this on Thursday. So this episode should be out around Saturday. So obviously, if anything happens on Friday that we're not aware of, um, do forgive us if we've missed that out. Um, hopefully, nothing major happens and we haven't missed it, but we'll just dive, we'll carry on with it anyway. But um, obviously, also important news this week, it's my co-host Courtney Pine's 29th birthday on Friday. So uh, happy birthday to you, Courtney, and uh, hope you manage to enjoy it, even though we're quite limited with what we can and can't do with this, uh, if you like, pseudo lockdown that's sort of going on in the UK. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll I'll improvise. I'm sure I'll find a way. Oh, to, I'm sure uh, you will celebrate being yet another year older. But let's not dwell on that fact, Adam. <laughs> yeah, make sure to wish Courtney a happy birthday on the uh, YouTube channel if you can comment. I'm sure I really appreciate that. But yeah, um, of course. You know, Formula One carries on, we'll carry on, and we'll always find a way through, as we have done throughout this entirety. Of course, we're 30 episodes in now, Courtney. I forgot to mention this last week's episode. But uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like a massive milestone for some people, but for us, that's considering that where we started six months ago, I didn't think we'd be 30 episodes in and doing this on a regular basis. So I'm actually really happy with that, and I'm really grateful to everyone that has supported us on this journey so far. I mean, we're just getting started, but it's nice to know that it seems like we're doing the right thing with this, and we're only getting better with this as we go along. So uh, as I digress, we'll get straight into the news. So, of course, a bit of a factoid for you guys. On this day in 2006, 14 years ago, Michael Schumacher won his 91st and final Grand Prix at the 2006 Chinese Grand Prix. Um, of course, Lewis Hamilton still won away from that record. It seems only a matter of time before Lewis does it. But of course, if Lewis does not break it, or equally, I should say, at the uh, German Grand Prix next weekend, I'm expecting an, uh, another interesting radio conversation with one Valtteri Bottas, as he did in the Russian race, to whom it may concern, brought that one back out. But to uh, his critics in general, rather than the uh, than the uh, chief engineer in the past in Australia. But we'll move to aside from that little factoid and we'll talk about what's been happening in the news. So the big news story, Corny, is centred around Ferrari and in particular their Ferrari Drivers Academy. Um, a lot of positive news for once coming out of Ferrari, which is uh, something we haven't really heard much this season. And uh, to go into a bit more detail with this, so the Ferrari Drivers Academy have had three drivers in particular that have been very, very successful in Formula 2, the feeder series to Formula 1 this season in Mick Schumacher, Callum Eilert and, of course, Robert Schwartzman. Now, these three drivers in particular have been guaranteed call-ups to free practice sessions in F1. Mick Schumacher and Callum Eilert, the top two figures in the F2 Championship this season. They will be competing in Free Practice 1 at the German Grand Prix next weekend. Mick Schumacher will be driving for the Alfa Romeo team, replacing Antonio Giovinazzi, and Callum Eilert will be driving for Haas, replacing Roman Grosjean. So before we go into a bit more uh, the other side of this, Courtney, it's a big statement from Ferrari that they've got a very difficult position where they've got three very good, talented young drivers knocking on the door almost kicking it down to try and get into F1. Do you think that Ferrari look like they've managed this situation rather well by giving Callum and Mick an opportunity in FP1 this weekend? And also, in addition to this, does this send out a message to everyone or send out a statement that these two guys in particular 
could possibly be in Formula One next season in those specific teams? Well, yeah, I mean, it offers a few topics of conversation, really. I think, first of all, it's... Um, it's a good thing to do for Ferrari. I've been very critical and awesome about how I feel about how they treat people, the management and their team and the drivers. But for once, it seems that they're they're showing that the efforts of these drivers are appreciated and that they do have some kind of future in the Ferrari Academy. But yeah, giving them the chance to uh, get the feel of a Formula One practice session and which is looking very likely for um, Stu Mack and I lot, and looking likely to have six next season in um, Formula 1. And as a British fan, it's exciting to have yet another Brit in the sport next season. Well, I think we're getting spoiled at the moment, Adam. But, um, yeah, you've got that. that that's a good thing. Um, but I think it also just shows that Ferrari have a long-term strategy. You know, when they're looking forward to 2022, it seems like... You know that that's that's a good way to go. Like you see it with Mercedes. You know, with with George Russell, they've got somebody there. If one of their uh, one of their drivers were to move on, so you you need to, you need to have a backup plan in, in any sport. So good news all round for Ferrari, but um, it does put Carlos Sainz under not massive pressure, but it puts Carlos Sainz under immediate pressure the moment he he starts his first race next season, because. Yeah. You've got Charles Leclerc, he's, he's been fantastic, even this season in an underperforming car. He's been brilliant. He's the main man at Ferrari. That's been established with what's happened with Vettel. He's going nowhere. But Sainz joins a new team, leaving the McLaren team, though, reasonably stable. He's going to Ferrari team, in, uh, the Ferrari team. Very uh, Any driver that drives for Ferrari, massive pressure. He's already got that. But he's going to have waiting in the wings two, maybe three, hungry drivers, and one of them is the son of Mr. Ferrari himself, Michael Schumacher. Now, I'm jealous of signs. Everyone wants to drive for Ferrari. That's everybody's dream. But in a way, I don't envy him because he's going to be under a lot of pressure. But Ferrari are thinking forward and this, and this changing strategy for them might pay off for them in the coming seasons. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a complete 180 on the normal Ferrari recruitment program. They would normally look towards the current F1 grid to try and find the best driver that isn't already in a top team. And sometimes ones that are in top teams, of course, we're talking about Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso, Kimi Raikkonen, all guys that Ferrari have recruited over the last two decades from some of the biggest teams in Formula 1, like rivals almost, and they've swayed him to go to Ferrari. Now, of course, Kimi, the only one actually achieving success in terms of a world championship, but nonetheless, it just shows Ferrari still have that immense pulling power that arguably no other team has, maybe Mercedes to some degree. But going from that to a strategy now where they're heavily invested in their Young Drivers Academy, of course, Charles Leclerc, one of the successors, probably the first major successor, of this program coming through the ranks in youth categories, very successful Formula 2 campaign, coming to what is now Alfa Romeo, had that stellar debut season in the car, which saw him get that promotion to Ferrari to a point now where he is the outright team leader of the team. He's the one they're building their future investment on. But now you've got other drivers like Mick Schumacher, Callum Eilert, Robert Schwartzman as well. Let's not forget Robert Schwartzman, who's been very successful in uh, Formula 3 last season. He was champion in that. And in the early stages of the F2 Championship, it was leading the way by quite a margin. Of course, that's fallen away since. 
But Ferrari find themselves in a position now where they're very much enriched with a lot of young talent in the same way that Red Bull was in the uh, early 2010s. You know, they almost had too many good young drivers. They didn't know what to do with them. And looking at Ferrari's situation now, I I think it was inevitable that Mick Schumacher was going to get a call up to free practice. May looks likely that he's going to be in Formula One next season. I would probably bet quite a lot of money on him having a seat already ready for him at Alfa Romeo, if not definitely will have one by the time next season comes around. And Callum Eilot as well, who to his credit has been absolutely brilliant this season, arguably in some cases the fastest driver I think in Formula 2, although I would argue Mick seems to be the most consistent and complete driver at this point. It's took a while to get there, but now he's at that level where he definitely feels ready for an F1 drive. They both do. I think in Robert's case... As I said, very quick early on in the season, got very good racecraft, but he does lack that pace in one lap qualifying that I do think he needs to work on. And I think he will, if he doesn't get into F1 next season, which I think is probably the case, he will definitely be my favourite to win the championship next season. But it's a great position for Ferrari to be in. And as long as they manage it well, which I think they are doing at the moment. I mean, they gave these three guys um, a run around in the SF71H, which is the 2018 Ferrari car, the one that should have won the World Championship with Sebastian Vettel around Fiorano yesterday. And of course, Ferrari don't release the times and that, but they seem pretty happy with those guys, giving them that next level or that next step in their education. So it's always something good to see from Ferrari moving forward in tr- in terms of their future development. Of course, as you mentioned, Courtney, Carlos Sainz, a man who probably isn't considering these young guns as putting him under pressure for his seat, but it's going to be a difficult transition for him. I think next season will be pretty good for him because the pressure will be off a little bit given Ferrari's uh, recovery. But from 2022 onwards, he's going to have to be on it like Charles Leclerc. We expect him to be as well. So good signs for Ferrari. They're not short of options. And that's always a good thing, regardless of which way they decide to go about it. And that's always a good thing for Formula One as well. But I think an additional question I've got to ask you, Courtney, on this subject. Obviously, I've mentioned that Giovinazzi and Grosjean are the two drivers that are going to be giving away their seats for FP1. Is this an early indicator in your mind that... Giovinazzi and Grosjean may find themselves surplus to requirements come the end of the season because these are two guys that are coming towards the end of their contracts and we sort of felt perhaps Giovinazzi might stay on but it seems recent reports are suggesting that Kimi Raikkonen is in fact going to be kept on next season which may seem the smarter move and of course it's no secret that Haas have been less than impressed with Roman Grosjean's driving in general, for the last couple of seasons, I think it's probably fair to say. So would you say that perhaps it's Giovinazzi and Grosjean that might be giving their seats away to Schumacher and Eilat? I mean, yeah, I can't argue with that at all. I mean, Grosjean, you're right, he's, he hasn't really taken a step up and he's been he's been in Formula 1 for quite a few seasons now and he hasn't really taken that real... He's got a couple of podiums here and there, but it hasn't really offered... Enough, considering you know the competition coming up from the uh, from the junior categories. You know you can't keep. He's he's been flatlining or sometimes having wobbles within seasons, and I don't know. I don't. I just don't feel he has much to offer anymore. And the same applies with Giovinazzi. You know he he'll, he'll do okay, but he doesn't set the world alight. And and in this sport, Adam, we all know how brutal it is. You do need to set the world alight. You need to be. You need to be making headlines several times a season at least to keep a seat in Formula 1. 
it's 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 such a it's, it's a pinnacle of motorsport. There's going to be so much pressure, and I just don't feel that these guys have offered enough. And if you have a look at what teams are looking for, you know, they the end they they want to be as fast as possible, and they're also businesses. Now, if you think from an Alfa Romeo perspective. You're gonna to want to keep Kimi Raikkonen. If Kimi, as long as Kimi wants to keep going, they will keep Kimi, because everybody loves him. He sells. He's a solid driver. He delivers all the time. And then there's a prospect of him being in the same team as Michael Schumacher's son. It's 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 it's, it's great exposure for a team that are trying to make a make a stamp in Formula One. So, looking from the outside, you'd think that. Raikkonen and Schumacher would be a great duo for Alpha. So, yeah, I feel that Giovinazzi is in a lot of trouble. Well, the Raikkonen and Schumacher partnership very nearly happened back in, I believe it was 2009, when Felipe Massa had that accident in Hungary. And, of course, there was rumours of who was going to replace him for the remainder of the season. And Michael Schumacher was available to get that call-up. Unfortunately, he had a hairline fracture in his neck which meant that he, from a motorcycling accident, which meant that he wasn't given the all clear, which meant Giancarlo Fisichella left uh, Force India, which is now Racing Point, to join Ferrari for that period towards the end of that season. And uh, obviously Michael Schumacher went to Mercedes the following season. So it's one of those things that seemed very likely at the time, but now could become a reality in the form through Mick Schumacher. All we need now, Courtney, is if Mick does come into Formula 1 next season to sustain a career long enough so that Raikkonen's son, Robin, can get into Formula 1 to continue that legacy because that would have meant for the last 30 years we've had at least a Schumacher or a Raikkonen in Formula 1 and that tradition seems to be continuing. So something little there, but um, always something interesting. And to be honest, I can't think of a better person for Mick to learn from than Kimi Raikkonen who will become the most I think if he isn't already the most experienced driver in Formula 1 I think he's very close to Rubens Barrichello's record and he will break that this season uh, if he continues onwards so it's an exciting prospect nonetheless and I think carrying the burden in a way of having the most famous name in Formula 1 arguably the most famous name in motorsport period Mick Schumacher's handled this pressure very, very well. He's not really leaned on the fact that he's a Schumacher. I'm sure he's aware that it has presented opportunities to him, but he's certainly got there on merit. And the way he's driving at the moment, particularly in F2, after winning the Russian Grand Prix feature race and getting on the podium in the sprint race, definitely is now looking the real deal in terms of Formula 1 calibre. As is Callum Mylot, in fairness to him as well. So uh, definitely something to look out for. And I'm wishing them all the best of luck but it's exciting nonetheless to see these young guns coming through specifically for Ferrari as well so moving on to the uh, next part of course we're going to have to talk about a preview for the German Grand Prix so I mean we don't need to go too much in depth for this preview Courtney I think the way this season has kind of transcended onto us we're kind of expecting a very similar top three I can't say out or be out of character and think I'm expecting a massive shock I mean you never know but are there going to be any potential surprises at the Nürburgring in your mind? Or do you feel perhaps the status quo in terms of the form book may continue? I think there are several things that are on my mind. Um, the first one being, I don't know if the weather has changed since, but there were talks of the weather being particularly cold there and they'd have to use a tyre. They'd have to use a cold weather tyre, which we haven't seen an F1 in a very long time. I think there was that 
there was like a snowy practice session in Barcelona a few years ago. But apart from that, I don't think these tyres have ever needed to be used. So if the weather's cold, that's going to, uh, you know, take a big part in the make a big part in the race. Considering if you know, cause if I remember rightly, turn one the Nurburgring is quite easy to lock up at. So if the weather's cold, that can make a big difference, particularly in qualifying. So there's that. Um, also, you know, will Lewis bounce back? Will he bounce back? Given because he he had a very for his standards, he had a very scruffy weekend. Qualifying was uh, wasn't ideal for him, uh, which led to him already being compromised on strategy. Then we had the incidents and the penalties, which kind of knocked him uh, right off guard. But typically with Lewis, though, he bounces back from difficult weekends, so hopefully he does that. And then the other thing is, I just hope that this um, this idea of equaling Michael Schumacher's record does become a bit of a curse. Because imagine if he doesn't win this weekend, it's just there, just one away, one away, one away. And it could just start making life a little bit more difficult in this championship. Yeah, he's got a, a healthy lead over Bottas, and obviously I'm very confident in his ability, but he'll need to bounce, he'll need to bounce back because if Bottas keeps on getting confident and he chips away at that, chips away at that deficit then before you know it there'll be a real championship um, battle on our hands coming towards the end of the season so I think this this, uh, this Grand Prix is going to be a little bit more juicy than we would have expected a few weeks ago Adam Well I certainly hope so uh, and I think you're absolutely right to point out the weather conditions of course we don't know if it's going to be sunny or if it's going to be wet we haven't really looked at the forecast really which is bit of a fell power on us but uh yeah in terms of the tyres because it's going to be cold it's two ways you can kind of go about it because in formula one when we used to have like seven or eight different dry compounds of tyre when it was like ridiculous uh as we mentioned in our video beginner's guide video for those of you that hadn't already seen that make sure to check that out it's actually gone past 400 views on youtube which is absolutely insane for us it doesn't sound like a lot but for us that's absolutely huge so definitely check that out if you haven't we go into tires a bit more detail but they used to have what we used to call an ice cold tire or an ice tire which isn't what you would think where it's got tracks or ridges like a wet tire it was just a very hard dry compound that used to heat up very very quickly so don't be surprised if they decide to go for softer compound tires um just so that they generate more heat quickly but uh, as i said before I'm not an expert on these tyre situations. They could go one way, they could go the other. But I don't really think there's a compound tyre that was created by Pirelli specifically for this season to handle colder conditions. So we might see some interesting choices. I don't expect teams to come out with like wet compound tyres or anything like that just to get the extra heat in. I think that'd be absolutely madness. I don't think the stewards would allow it either. So we'll have to wait and see what they do. But it's funny you should mention, obviously, Lewis Hamilton, this... uh, I don't think it's a burden that he hasn't equaled Schumacher's record yet. I mean, he's he's literally won the race before in Mugello. So it's always telling of what people uh, think about when they talk about Lewis Hamilton's abilities when there's almost like a sense of doubt when he hasn't won his last race. It's almost expected for Lewis to win almost every single race, which in a way has similar hallmarks to Schumacher. That's why they've won as many races as they have in their careers. And of course, we expect Lewis to break that record sooner rather than later. But you're right, Courtney. There, there were certain issues in that Russian Grand Prix that did sit on Lewis's mind. He, he mentioned, as we've already talked about, that he felt like the stewards were out to get him, as he put it, which Lewis himself said 
was not the wisest choice of words and prompted a response from the FIA and the stewards to say that they treat all drivers with fairness and equal standards and hold them to account on the same uh, playing field, if you like. And uh, which I think is fair for Lewis to acknowledge that because I wasn't overly impressed with it, but I could totally understand someone as passionate as Lewis in the same way that a footballer would be complaining about a referee giving them a yellow card for a tackle they thought wasn't a foul or something like that. You know, it happens. So I don't think people need to get on his back about that one. But it does tell that when you are approaching something like that, Lewis probably isn't giving it too much for, at least when he's surrounded by the paddock, he just gets on with the job. He's all about the business, which is why he's so good at what he does, especially from a mental perspective. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's something that if he doesn't win next weekend or even the race after, it might be on his mind a little bit and thinking, you know, I just got to get this done. You know, he's worried more about that than the actual world championship, which he's very, very much on the way to achieving as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I usually do, or he, Lewis does usually bounce back straight away. But it was the last race reminded me a lot of Austria. Bottas was slightly quicker in qualifying, and it just seemed that I don't know. It just seemed the world because it is this mentality surrounding Lewis, whether it just be Lewis himself. With his fan base, you know, being a fan of his throughout his Formula One career, I've certainly fought it myself on a few occasions. There's just this feeling that when the penalties or attempts by other teams to get Lewis penalised, it does. There is this feeling that the world is against him, and we've seen in his battles with Rosberg sometimes in the past. It can, it can consume him, and that, that's always like the slight. I've said it many times. I don't doubt the guy's ability, like. I'm probably called a Lewis fanboy, to be honest, but if he just has that little bit of thing that the world is against him, that can affect him, and uh, I'm hoping that's not the case, because usually it does, usually it bounce back, but he, do, he just needs to, you know, the race, we're starting to run out of races, and then I just, I just think he needs to take a pragmatic approach towards the rest of the season, not do anything rash, but he hasn't really been, he hasn't really been too rash for quite a few years now, so... I am confident he can turn it around. Yeah, I mean, he's probably one of the fairest drivers I think I've ever seen in Formula One, let alone uh, this, you know, in, in this current crop of drivers. But you're absolutely right, Lewis Hamilton, when he does get frustrated in the cockpit, his level does tend to go down. It's almost like, I can't be arsed, I'm just going to bring this home. I, I mentioned this last week, and I mean this with the utmost respect for the guy, but there are times where you see some drivers like Daniel Ricciardo for example as he mentioned you know the penalty that he received and he said okay I'll just drive faster and he did significantly faster to hold on to that position whereas Lewis just rather than yeah you can be annoyed you can be angry about it but then after you've done that get your head down and get on with it I mean how many times have we seen Sebastian Vettel get angry over the radio about stuff and yes we talk about the red mist and mistakes but pace wise he just gets on with it he doesn't sort of um, succumb to this sort of anguish and then just think, sod it, that's it, I'm just going to do this, I can't win so therefore I'm not going to try which is, you know, it's a harsh thing to say but we do see that with Lewis sometimes where if he feels like there are those out there to get him or there are those against him rather than just be defiant and really just get on with it as we know he can, sometimes he does tend to just, you know let it bother him and he just, you know just carries on he doesn't really try and fight it as much. Um, 
But, you know, it's one of those things. I don't expect Lewis to really let this bother him. It's probably water on the bridge now and he's completely focused on the race this weekend. I certainly hope so because being so close to history, everyone, I imagine most people want to see him just get on with it and, you know, finish this world championship off. But as I say that, just to sort of wrap up the rest of predictions this weekend, um, just a quick note on Ferrari before we go into the predictions. They've obviously got some upgrades that they're going to bring. So they brought some minor upgrades to the Russian Grand Prix, particularly with the uh, rear wing end plates, the nose cap, and some of the turning vanes on the car. I don't know if you noticed those, Courtney. But um, the Charles Leclerc mentioned that driving-wise, he didn't really improve much in terms of performance, but there were some small gains in terms of drivability and consistency, which I think is what Ferrari want. The whole purpose of these parts, that these upgrades they're bringing, aren't necessarily about performance. It's more about understanding the car a bit better and making the car perform more consistently so that the drivers can then get more out of it on, over the course of race. And Sebastian Vettel said the same thing. In this race, there are going to be some more performance upgrades expected in this race. Most notably, a new floor and uh, some revisements to the chassis. So, hopefully, that might bring some performance to Ferrari. But again, it's more centered around looking at the inefficiencies with the current car uh, with a concept in mind for what they're going to be doing next season and trying to see hopefully this actually does provide more consistency and efficiency to the aero package. So, hopefully, that's what Ferrari are going to get. We'll have to wait and see how that translates. But um, obviously, for the race prediction yourself, Courtney, are we going to go different from what we normally predict or are we thinking Lewis then Valtteri and then Verstappen probably once again to complete the top three yeah I, I do think Lewis will bounce back I think I think qualifying is going to be an interesting one there's something about qualifying I just feel it's just Bottas is going to feel rejuvenated and Lewis is going to be fired up after what happened so I, I, I think there's a there's a little bit more meat on the bones shall we say for this uh Grand Prix, but I'm going to say Lewis first, Valtteri second, and when it comes to third, like Max continues to, he seems he seems to extract performance that shouldn't even be there. But I I I just feel the time is going to come at some point in this season where Renault get that first podium, and uh, you never know. Um, so when it comes to third, my head is saying Max, but my heart is saying Daniel Ricciardo. Given the nature of the track at the Nürburgring, I would be more inclined to pick the Red Bull over Daniel Ricciardo in this case because that you're going to need a balance between downforce and straight line speed. Yeah. And I think Renault in low downforce circuits have been very, very good. Again, they were very strong at the Russian Grand Prix, but they weren't able to capitalise on their performance as well as they had done. And as we saw in other Grand Prix, they've done that. I think if they are going to get a podium, I think it's going to come at the Bahrain Grand Prix where they have the revised layout. So obviously uh, the one with like five corners, I think is going to be mostly straight. So I think that's going to be the circuit if they do get a podium. I think that's where it's going to happen. But let's wait and see. I think sometimes it's more easy to predict Max's finishing position than the, the Mercedes at some points, almost. But um, that just shows how good he's been this season in the Red Bull. Knowing he's got that performance deficit, but he's still been able to challenge them or at least keep them honest. I think that's probably fair to say. But um, we're wrapping this up for the halfway point in this episode, guys. So uh, we will see you in part two, where we're going to be going through some of the questions that we put out to you on the Instagram page that Courtney is going to be talking to us a bit more about. So in the second part, we will see you then. So take care and grab yourself a drink and we will join you for part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. (laughs) 
So welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast, guys. Of course, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you are enjoying this podcast. That's dnf one F1 podcast and of course this podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms including Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio and of course Courtney we are now on Good Pods so the app Good Pods if you haven't heard of it brand new app where you can listen to all your favorite podcasts ours plenty of us as well make sure to download the app and you can listen to our podcast if you follow us on DNF1 F1 podcast so make sure to do that if you can. And don't forget also, guys, we're on Twitter and Instagram, so if you haven't followed us already, make sure you do. On both of those, it's DNF1 underscore F1, oh, sorry, DNF1 underscore podcast, almost forget there. So um, on Twitter and Instagram, we've got great content on there, especially the Instagram one. Make sure to follow us on those and uh, keep up to date with all the latest news in Formula 1 and DNF1 in particular. So moving on to this next part, as we've been talking about the social media handles, Courtney has done an excellent job as always on Instagram and he has put some questions to you guys following the Russian Grand Prix last week so I'm going to hand the reins over to Courtney for this segment to be the lead mediator and uh, Courtney the floor is yours. So yeah um, considering we were talking about um, the young Ferrari drivers coming up but you know looking at the uh, looks like they could potentially be joining Alfa Romeo and Haas um, there's one question that's yet to be unanswered where does Sergio Perez go next season? So I thought I'd ask you guys on Instagram and uh, there was a resounding 100% um, fault, shall we say, from the fan base that Sergio Perez will be joining Haas over a um, seat at a Red Bull Worm program. So that's interesting given that one seat looks like he's already could potentially be going to Callum Eilat and... Um, there is news out there that Sergio Perez is seeming confident that he's going to remain in Formula 1. So, if um, if your predictions are correct, and Sergio Perez races for Haas alongside Eilat, that would mean goodbye Kevin Magnussen as well. So, as sad as that would be for Kevin, I think if, if Haas had a team of Perez and Eilat, I think that's a pretty solid um, pairing, wouldn't you say, Adam? Yeah, I mean... We talked about this in uh, the 29th episode a couple of weeks ago about the F1 drive market now that we've approached the silly season of this season, if you like. And Kevin Magnussen was a driver that I was unsure about. Now, for the benefit of that episode, I believe that he would probably stay in the Haas team purely and simply because I didn't think Perez would be interested in a seat at Haas. However, it seems that from what Perez has been telling us in terms of uh, Hinson towards making progress towards his F1 future, it does seem to be more and more likely that he may be considering strongly joining a team like us for the future. So with that in mind, I think it's fair to say that like Grosjean, Kevin Magnussen has been good in parts, probably the better of the two over the last few years. He's been with his team now for quite a good number of years. And for argument's sake, I don't really think it's worked out as well as they would have liked. And I think Gunther Steiner's probably a bit fed up now, and Gene Haas, of the same old story between Magnussen and Grosjean. Whilst we feel Magnussen's not really given them as much issues to deal with as Grosjean has, it's probably looking like that perhaps they're looking for a fresh start in the form of Callum Eilat. And of course, 
there aren't really many better drivers out there that are available than Sergio Perez. So it would make perfect sense for Perez to be a Haas. So I think, yeah, it seems likely that's going to happen. But of course, we'll have to keep an eye out to see for further updates when that's all confirmed, which I imagine would be probably fairly soon. Right then, on to the next one. Um, well, it looks like we'll, we'll, we've been covering uh, the big talking points of last weekend, particularly surrounding Lewis Hamilton penalties. And um, the first question I put out um, regarding Lewis was, uh, how, did you feel that the penalties he received were fair or the other option was, were they harsh and kind of had a bad effect on how the race ended? And... Uh, the majority of you did say you believed that the penalties were fair. Um, you know, I, I, I can understand that rules are rules and they are they are in place for a reason, particularly Formula 1 where safety is concerned. But it was a very big talking point of the weekend and personally, I'm still on the fence on the matter, to be honest, Adam. I don't know how you feel about it. Well, I felt originally that the penalty was fair, given the nature of what they were penalising Lewis for. However, it did raise some questions in my mind about the consistency issues and the lack of clarity sometimes, or transparency, I think is a word we've seen thrown about in the last uh, couple of days over this decision. And I had a look on social media and I saw a lot of people very, very disappointed about the fact that Lewis was penalised for something like this and then there are some other drivers that haven't necessarily been penalised for similar instances or uh, examples where they demonstrate the lack of consistency. Now, of course, being British-based, we're going to see a lot of social media activity that's going to be more pro-Hamilton than against. So obviously you've got to take that opinion with a pinch of salt, really, if that's the generalistic view. But at the same time, I think there's been a big issue regarding the lack of transparency and consistency with the uh, the way that decisions are being made with the stewards. And I'll give you a couple of examples, um, if I may. If it sounds like it's a monologue, I do apologise, but uh, I think it's a good point to discuss with this one. I read a good article from uh, Scott Mitchell, who writes for The Race. So if you haven't seen them, obviously, you know, these guys were big at autosport. They've moved on to The Race. Uh, a lot of good digital content. Definitely check it out. It's a really good article. But it talks about the issues around this with Lewis Hamilton's penalty and what questions it does raise. Now, Lewis's penalty, for those of you that didn't see, he got two penalties. He got a penalty for uh, not stopping in the right place of the uh, pit exit and also performing practice starts past the uh, pit lane exit line. Now, I want to take your minds back to a couple of races ago where Charles Leclerc had done something very, very similar. And I mentioned this in last week's episode in the 2020 Belgian Grand Prix. What Charles had done was he'd come out of the pit lane. He was instructed by the team to park up before the the second safety car line, which was designated to allow for practice starts. It was in that area. Now, originally, Charles had gone a few metres past that line and then done his practice start. The reason why this was actually picked up by the stewards was not because of what Charles had done, similar to Lewis, but it in fact, it was because he was being investigated over a slower than required delta time for the reconnaissance lap, which is basically the lap to the grid. They have like a delta and he has to do a certain set lap time so that it's, you know, it's safe, etc. Now, when this had been brought to the stewards, Ferrari said the reason why Charles had breached this uh, 
regulation in terms of the reconnaissance lap was because he was actually instructed to do a practice start and he'd accidentally gone over the safety car line which cut the beam and started the timer he was stationary for about 12 seconds so they argued this case and then you know the, the steward said okay that's fine that's understandable but then it raises the question well he was therefore because he was past the safety car line surely he's on a similar part of track that Lewis would have been relatively speaking in Russia outside of the pit lane doing the exact same thing but he didn't get a penalty for it now the problem with this at face value is that you can see that there were inconsistencies over the two penalties that Charles has done the same thing Lewis did a few races before it was in the race director's notes in the same way that it would be for Soshi yet Lewis was the one that got penalised rather than Charles. So at face value, it almost seems like the FIA or the stewards, not the FIA, the stewards have basically punished one driver for something and then punished Lewis for doing the same thing. Um, or say not punish Leclerc, I should say. And that raises problems over its consistency. Now the FIA, I keep saying the FIA, sorry, I do apologise. The stewards, their response to this was that uh, it, you know, there was flexibility or common sense, if you like, was being used in this situation where Charles had accidentally gone over the line a little bit and was doing what Ferrari instructed him to do. So they waved it off. But then you can't apply that similar logic to the Lewis Hamilton situation because they basically gave him a slam dunk penalty and said, well, you break the rules. It was, wasn't very safe where you put the car and therefore you've got yourself a penalty as a result. But in Charles's case, they said, well, where his car was, it was still relatively safe. So it's OK. So what you're doing is applying two different um, methods of logic to a similar incident. And you're therefore penalising one guy as a result of it, but not penalising the other for the same thing. Now, the problem with that, and it sounds like a lot to take in mind, but long story short, guys, it's not really consistent because they've basically tried to use common sense logic with Leclerc but they haven't adopted that same practice to Lewis Hamilton because to some it may seem like a harsh penalty to give and perhaps one of those we think really does that need to be penalised given that nothing really happened but the problem with that you've got to really be consistent in your decision making you've got to just basically say look this is how we're judging this unless there are grounds where you have to use common sense for one situation over another fair enough but in this case, I didn't think that that was the case. And uh, this this is what created problems because this is why Lewis felt probably that, you know, he felt that they were out to get him or that this was an unjust penalty. And, uh, you know, Michael Massey had to respond and obviously, you know, he responded in the right way. And we should probably be grateful that he does come out and talk about these decisions on a Sunday evening. But it does mean that there are still some inconsistencies and lack of clarity in the stewards making. I mean, Courtney, I can give you a better example of why I think this is an issue that needs addressing. And uh, another incident in the Russian Grand Prix where Charles Leclerc had that coming together with Lance Stroll that took him out of the race on the first lap. That was a very similar incident to yeah. the Hamilton Albon incident in Austria. And yet Sorry. Lewis got a penalty, which I felt was correct. I think he should have got a penalty in that incident. And Leclerc didn't. Now, you know, for those of you wondering why that's the case, you know, the, the stewards do look at incidents on the first lap with uh, a bit more leniency than they normally would on any other lap of the race because everyone's sort of bunched up together. There's a Constantine effect. But in fairness, what goes against Charles Leclerc in this incident is the fact that he's the one trying to make the move on uh, Stroll 
rather than what Hamilton was when he was trying to defend from Albon. And it was almost a cut and carbon copy. The only difference was is that Stroll had a bit of a runoff area and perhaps the stewards felt that perhaps Stroll round the outside could have took to that area. But it, it was one of those where we said at the time with Lewis where he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, caught Albon and got a penalty. The same thing happened to Leclerc. So what you end up having is another situation where you have two identical penalties or two identical scenarios. One is penalised and the other one isn't. And, I think uh, yeah. the problem there is surrounding Lewis and his fan base, and I'm not going to lie, like, I, I felt this way on Sunday, and it's something that we touched on last week, and it's that, yes, Lewis seems to be making some some weird errors that are costing him in like the races, the very few races he's done poorly in, but at the same time, there is there is this feeling, and I do feel this a bit personally myself, is that Lewis and Mercedes just seem to be so untouchable at this point. They went on such a high, but in terms of like pure pace, if it's just a normal race, they're pretty much untouchable. Okay, now if you're a non-Lewis Hamilton fan. You know, you work for another team, or you're an organizer, or a TV company that want entertaining races. There are going to be a lot of people that will want to see Lewis penalised to make the races more entertaining. Or, oh no, Lewis is one again. Can't be having that. We, we, we want to see another winner. And I do feel there is a little bit of there is there is this resentment towards Lewis winning every week. I think that's why there's a paranoia that it seems that the stewards seem to be attacking Lewis at the, the, the slightest opportunity, and, and and I did like when it, when I saw him get the second five um, five second penalty, that is how I felt to be honest. Yeah, I mean we're not saying that you know that there is an agenda or a bias here against Lewis Hamilton or a pro Ferrari agenda. Of course, some fans will probably feel that there is. You know, the old jokes about the FIA being the Ferrari intelligence agency or Ferrari assistant, whatever you want to call it. But in these scenarios, I've mentioned two very isolated examples, but they do help to bring this point that, you know, there are differences in the stewarding panel. They always have changes to the person. They have one change like the driver that's involved or former driver that's involved. They change that, but they do have a consistent panel for the remainder of which and the same race director. So... You know there are some similarities in terms of the personnel, so they are got they have got sort of, uh, if you like, a set uh, rule book of what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing, and obviously how they interpret an incident or how they judge it for a penalty in, in this example. But similar to football, obviously there are differences. You don't have the same referee ref in every single match, so you're never going to be able to call every incident exactly the same. But at least in Formula 1, when you have the information available, you're able to look at replays and everything else, and relatively similar personnel, there should be a level of consistency where you take incidents like that, then you'd be able to judge it on an equal playing field. And even if you can't, because the situation can be different from one way or another, the one thing I think the stewards or the decision makers have lacked of late is that transparency to at least explain certain situations and give us a you know, a, a consistent analysis of why you penalise Lewis in this case and not Leclerc. 
Now, of course, not to single out those two in particular, those are the examples that I've used. So, um, you know, just take that as it is rather than this being some sort of uncovered agenda or anything. We don't think there's anything like that. But I think F1 do need, does need to look at this thing, this, this uh, circumstances. And Stefano Domenicali, the new CEO, when he gets involved with Ross Braun, I, I think this is an issue they do need to tackle. I think there needs to be more consistency and transparency with the stewards uh, regarding these decisions make, being made. Because on social media, all I've been seeing is people trying to make comparisons to try and prove that there is an agenda or a bias. And uh, whilst I don't think one exists, it doesn't help when uh, the stewards do not really clarify these sort of situations when they become when they sort of arise. I mean, look at Magello, the huge pileup from the safety car restart. Michael Massey didn't really go into details as to what the uh, stewards decision was on that on who was at fault really and uh, what issues caused that incident so you know it does beg the question as to uh, you know is the FIA and the stewards or are the stewards consistent and transparent enough and I would say probably not when you look at it like that yeah I mean I mean we've probably I've probably said quite a lot on this and oversold it as it is but (laughs) I think you know but I think the point you've made that resonates with me the most is that it's the idea of consistency and transparency and we, we see it in football as well because there's always going to be a feeling that the establishment are against your guy like we have it in football like we had it, we've had it with the, with the handball thing you know as, as a West Ham fan there was this feeling that penalty decisions went for other teams that didn't go for us against Arsenal when there was a debatable handball yeah. like, I'm not going to go too much into football as this is a Formula 1 podcast but there is always this feeling that establishment are against your guy your team and that's why there needs to be a consistency to avoid this from happening yeah so you're right adam that that's where i feel you know that that's that's what needs to change in that sense but seeing as we are talking about penalties and uh yeah we need to add that the two penalty points that were given to lewis were considered too harsh thankfully and they were taken away Mm. but one of the uh one of the headlines that come out of the original points being on Lewis's um, super license was there would have been a slight possibility that in the next three races if Lewis had got involved in another incident he'd have got another he would have had the maximum points on his super license and he would have had a one race ban and you think about all of the hypothetical situations that could occur from that and the most likely outcome would be that George Russell with partner Valtteri Bottas in one of the Grand Prix towards the end of the season, which led me to ask you guys on Instagram, who do you think would win the one-off race between George Russell and Valtteri Bottas? And I've got to say, a resounding majority, 88%, I believe, or somewhere around that mark, believe that George Russell would be Valtteri Bottas. And I'm not going to lie, I'm one of those people that do believe that. And... It goes back to points that we've made in earlier episodes where there is this growing feeling, and, and yes, Valtteri's done well. Valtteri's under a lot of pressure. He's driving against one of the best drivers um, in all time. But there is this growing feeling that a growing, yeah, a growing feeling with F1 fans in general that George Russell should be given that chance to partner Lewis. At the Sadies. I don't know how you feel about it, Adam, but I certainly feel that George Russell would give Valtteri Bottas a run for his money, even at this point. I think when I first saw this question, I originally thought, yes, 
Um, I'm going to be a little unpopular and I'm going to probably put my argument as to why I think Valtteri would win in a one-off race in this current car if, uh, you know, the hypothetical example of Lewis having a race ban by the Turkish Grand Prix. And we don't know how much development work or how much, uh, you know, simulator work George has put in at Mercedes into this car. We don't know. I would imagine not that much. Maybe on occasion, but not that much. So... He's got to go from driving the Williams that he's been used to all season to driving the works Mercedes. Now, George has had days in the past where he's been able to drive the works Mercedes in tests and obviously show his pace. But he's had as much as a full day or two to get used to the car and do a couple hundred laps to the point where he's got it nailed on and he's used to it. He's not going to get that luxury over the course of a race weekend. You may find that he'll be up to speed, and, uh, you know, on Bottas's case towards the end of the race weekend. But if I'm being brutally honest, I think because of that lack of experience in that sort of car, I would say Valtteri would probably win in a one-off race if it was to happen uh, right now. If George had more experience uh, in a works Mercedes, then definitely and be used to the car. That's what happens. I mean, I mentioned before about Giancarlo Fisichella stepping into the Ferrari and everyone thought he was going to be quick and he was miles off the pace. Of Kimi Raikkonen, and and he was on the books, you know, doing tests for Ferrari and stuff like that, you know. So you can't just jump into one car into the other, even though the Williams and Mercedes got the same power unit, gearbox, and everything else. There's more to it than that, and you know, Hulkenberg. It, it took the best part of both race weekends when he replaced Perez to get back up to speed with the car, uh, the racing point, and. You know, there is always the elements. It doesn't matter how experienced or good you are. You do need to get yourself used to that car. And Valtteri knows that car as good as anybody. So I just think because of that, I think Valtteri would win a one-off race if it was to happen in the next couple of weeks. But of course, you know. It would certainly be um, intriguing to see. Like, oh, oh, God. As as much as I'd hate for Lewis to have a one-race ban, I, I would be very intrigued to see it because it is a personal belief of mine that that Russell would be a better partner for Lewis going forward. Yeah, um, I agree with that. It, yeah. it, just, it, 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 it just makes you think that I was having a little thought while she was talking. Like, can you imagine if you had like a uh, a second seat playoff, for example? <laughs> say, for example, say like say Lewis had wrapped up the title by, shall we say, I don't know, by um, the, the the first Bahrain race. Yeah. Okay. So then you take it to. Um, the second Bahrain race or Abu Dhabi, where you have George Russell up against Valtteri Bottas, and then the uh, and the and the winner of that race gets a second seat of Mercedes next season. Now I know it's it's, it's a crackpot theory, but yeah, I mean it'd be it'd be quite the sight, and I would I would just be very intrigued to see how George Russell and Valtteri Bottas would get on head to head because it has been one of the debates within the fan base this season. It certainly has, and I think we've entertained the idea of George moving into a seat like that for some time. When is he going to get that opportunity? But as I said, because there is a lack of a sort of intermediate seat, which would probably show itself at Aston Martin, and now that's going to be occupied by Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel for probably another few years, it's quite a gamble Mercedes have to take. So I feel like they have to be absolutely sure that George is going to be able to deliver more than what Bottas would straight away. There's no sort of transition period because they have to think post-Hamilton as well now. It's not like thinking who's going to replace Hamilton's teammate for the next couple of years. It's a case of who's going to be the guy to take this team forward. Whilst I still believe 
that George Russell is that guy in Mercedes' eyes, it's still a huge commitment. It's easier for some than others. Ferrari made that with Leclerc, but they had that seat at Alfa Romeo to really tell them what they needed to know. And they also had a driver like Kimi Raikkonen, who was literally in his golden years and just driving for the fun of it, as he mentioned. So it's a much difficult situation that Mercedes find themselves in and one they absolutely have to get right. So uh, hopefully it happens sooner rather than later. But for now, I would say Valtteri in a one-off race will probably beat George in this current car. We can't so, agree uh, on everything. It's funny how often exactly. we do agree on these things, considering our backgrounds and our support networks. But nonetheless, it's uh, always engaging. Which leads us on to the final question. I touched on it again last week, and uh, I was just I was just questioning how happy people would be to see Lewis beat Michael Schumacher's record, and. Uh, the majority did say they would like to see it happen, but uh, not a massive majority. So it's very apparent that, you know, the love for Michael Schumacher is very much real. It's still there. It still burns, particularly in the heart of yours, Adam. I know that much. Um, but it's just interesting that when within sport, when you're seeing like records get broken and you're seeing you know, wins take place, whether it be in, like, football, whether it be in Formula 1 with race wins. Whether you like it or not, we are witnessing history with Lewis Hamilton. You know, there are are many things put out there. You know, you've got the typical, the comments, you know, about, oh, it's just because of the car. Oh, look what happened with Nico Rosberg. Oh, Lewis Hamilton... Doesn't doesn't pay his tax. You get all these stupid comments regarding Lewis Hamilton, and trying trying to put my own bias aside, we just need to respect that we are witnessing history and the amount of dedication it takes for these guys from when they were children. Let's not forget this. They they are they are competing to be number one from when they are children. Very harsh environment, a lot of pressure, and for somebody to come along and become statistically potentially the best Formula One driver of all time. You you can't you can't deny how great this person has achieved and um it's good to see people show their appreciation, you know, if Lewis was to do it. But I just I do I do believe that generally speaking and actually particularly from the general British public, I don't feel that Lewis Hammond gets the respect he deserves. Do you want a little curveball to this, Courtney? I actually voted yes on this question. So, oh, I um, do remember that, yeah. So one of uh, yeah Michael Schumacher's biggest diehard fans. Um, no, I actually would be happy to see Lewis Hamilton uh, break this win record. And, you know, some of you will ask why. You know, you're a hardcore Schumacher fan. Surely you don't want Schumacher's legacy being tarnished by uh, his win record and world championship records being beaten. Look, first things first. No matter what Lewis Hamilton goes on to achieve in this sport, and I do believe strongly he will become the most decorated Formula 1 driver in history. I think it's inevitable. He's got the talent, he's got time, he's got the equipment. It, it, let's, get, let's be honest, guys, it's going to happen, whether you like it or not. But that does not mean for a second that Michael Schumacher's legacy is tarnished by any stretch of the imagination. We are talking about 
a guy in arguably one of the best eras of Formula One for talent uh, and, you know, competitive racing. We are talking about a guy that either won a world championship or he came runner-up. And the amount of battles against legendary drivers and champions like, you know, Villeneuve, Hill, Hacken and Alonso, you know, all of these guys that, that Schumacher competed, and Senna as well, let's not forget, oh, God, who could forget Senna? Yeah, but, exactly. you know, of all those guys, Schumacher was able to best all of them at one point or another and was always challenging them in cars that should nowhere near have been considered for a world championship, let alone actually do it. And, you know, the, the records speak for themselves. There's so many caveats that we can throw between Hamilton and Schumacher to try and compare which is better. And, of course, we're going to throw our hat into the ring in due course over the winter, so definitely keep an eye out for that one. But at the end of the day, these records are not owned forever by one person. Well, the way things are going, we may, it may be some time before we see someone break Hamilton's records. I mean, these have stood for, you know, almost two decades, which seems ridiculous given how significant they are. But that's the reality of Formula One. It can happen to anybody that's good enough in the right machinery. But as I said before, these records are always going to be broken. I mean, there was a time where Alain Prost won the most races in Formula One. Then Schumacher beat his record. And then Schumacher went on to win 91 races in seven world championships. You know, Fangio's record stood the test of almost uh, six decades, or five decades actually, before Schumacher beat them. So, you know, these these this is how, you know, we've got to embrace Formula One history. And I feel like, yes, of course, we can mourn the fact that Schumacher will eventually not be the most successful driver in Formula One, at least, um, you know, in terms of the numbers, obviously percentages and everything else that you can throw at it might be a different story. But we have to stand and appreciate the fact that someone as talented and as brilliant as Lewis Hamilton has come along in this era of Formula One, in the machinery that he has, and he has beaten similar greats as well, like Alonso, Raikkonen, Vettel, you know, and Rosberg, of course, so many great world champions as well. It's witnessing history. Yes, you might be the biggest Schumacher fan going. You might be the, you might be someone that hates Lewis Hamilton as a driver. Hopefully, as a driver rather than a person, because that's a different argument for yeah, a different that's day. Yeah, right, and that's, that's where that's where it sometimes goes mm. wrong with Lewis. And it should never be personal. I honestly no. don't think you should really consider when you base your argument over who's better based on personal things outside the sport. You're arguing the wrong thing. So that's, right. that's not even up for debate. But I think it's time that we start to celebrate these achievements and start mm -hmm. to, in the same way that we did when Schumacher did them, there would have been Senna fans or Prost fans that wouldn't have been happy to see Schumacher do this. But, you know, it happens and we have to celebrate these legacies because they don't last forever. And I'm sure eventually someone else will come along, maybe. Maybe. They will. And if they and, don't, and, yeah. And that's the thing, Adam, and, and this is a point I need, I need to make when it comes to Formula One, is that... I appreciate drivers based on eras. Okay, so I look back. So I look back. So if you look back to certain decades, you, you can do in pretty much any sport. I, I don't. I don't like this greatest of all time thing. To be honest, I, I, I just feel it's such a subjective, it's such a cliche argument. And yeah. It's, it, it's, but so personally, I look back on eras. So like, you go, okay, if you look back on the back on the seventies, you have Nicky Lauda. I feel like you, you have and, and Jackie Stewart. Okay, then you have 1980s. You have the the PK Senna Prost argument. Personally, this is a prime example. 
Alan Prost got more World Championships than Ayrton Senna. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that Ayrton Senna was a better driver. So you can even compare within the eras that, you know, you can feel one driver's better than the other despite one having more race wins and championships over each other. Hmm. But I look back in here to have Senna, Prost, and I, and I feel personally, I look back at the 80s, I think Senna. And then in the 90s, you had the um, the emergence of Michael Schumacher. And then, then from that point, you had the Schumacher era. And then after that, you had, which was threatening at one point to be the Vettel era. And now we're in the Lewis Hamilton era. And I think that's just a good way. Instead of trading them up against each other, and sometimes it's, it's to have a fun, have a fun conversation about. It, but when people get angry or hateful towards records being broken, I don't quite understand it because you can't appreciate Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher. Mm. It doesn't have to be a war over it. No, absolutely. I mean, you're witnessing history. I mean, I never thought we would ever see someone beat Schumacher's records, especially so soon. They were just monumental compared to. I mean, for context, Schumacher had almost won double the number of races of the next best person, which is. Uh, Alain Prost in that list at the time and then of course if you look back at the race wins in history Sebastian Vettel was actually number three now so I mean mean, to cut a long story short because we probably do need to wrap this up now we're past just past the hour mark but as a final thought of this you know you can be happy or unhappy about these sorts of records coming and going that's sport that's life these things happen it happens in every single sport that you can imagine but don't base your argument on who is better on things that don't matter outside of Formula One, personal things. You know, Michael Schumacher did some things in Formula One that people aren't biggest fans of. You can talk about Adelaide with Hill in 94 when he tried to take out Jacques Villeneuve in 97 in Jerez. Um, the Monaco incident in 2006 with Alonso where he parked his car at Rascas to try and stop Alonso getting on pole. You know, you know, there are loads of things like that. And Lewis has done similar things as well, you know, with... The, the Ligate saga in 2008, all of that stuff that comes into it, loads of things. But, I mean, and Senna as well. We're talking about a guy who many people still consider the greatest of all time, yet he won three world championships and only 41 Grand Prix. Mm. So you, you look at the numbers, you'd never make the case for Ayrton Senna being the best of all time. But that's only argued by people that look at numbers. Formula One is more than just about... All right, it's a very much a numbers game, but when you look at the analysis of enjoying and embracing how quick someone is and how great it is to watch them drive and how brilliant they are you never look at the data you always want to look at the physical element or the driving standards that these guys all adopt and bring to the table in their own eras and that's what makes the sport so brilliant so in answer to the question i would be absolutely delighted to see lewis hamilton or anybody beat the uh, famous records that Michael Schumacher still holds on to, but probably will be a matter of time before Lewis beats the race wins and eventually perhaps even win eight world championships. It's certainly on the cards at the moment. So, yeah. And, uh, I, I, yeah. Yeah, that is, that's about it. I don't, I don't think I have anything else. I think we've covered the matter. In great depth. <laughs> In great depth, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, no, well done, Corny. That was a 
really well handled. They're very much not easy to be a mediator in these circumstances. So no, good job with that. First time as well. We don't take second takes with these guys. It's literally all rolled off, which probably explains a lot. But uh, nonetheless, um, I hope you enjoyed that episode this week. That was one of the better filler episodes, I must say. And thank you very much for your contribution to the polls. We really do appreciate that. And of course, if you've got any questions you want to throw our way that we can enter on this podcast and talk about, please feel free to do so. Of course, if you want to, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, DNF1 underscore podcast. And of course, follow us on YouTube as well. Like, share and subscribe to DNF1-F1 podcast. And of course, like and support us on your favorite podcasting platform, whatever that may be. And of course, download the Good Pods app as well, because we are on there now. So uh, with all that being said, I think it's a good opportunity to wrap this episode up and put that in the history book. Thank you so much, Courtney, once again for co-hosting this episode and uh, offering your brilliance and insight as you always do on these episodes. Always a pleasure, Adam, and uh, we'll be uh, hopefully discussing a uh, an action-packed German Grand Prix next time around. Absolutely, and make sure to enjoy your birthday as well. Obviously, I mentioned that earlier, but... Sure, uh, 29th birthday, obviously on Friday. This is going to go out on the Saturday, so it would have already happened. So uh, make sure to wish Courtney a happy birthday as well on the Instagram page. And uh, until then, guys, take care, stay safe, and we will see you in the next DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Podcast Network.